I'm going to this morning to um, finish up this, I guess this is part B of obedience, because we've started this series, and the whole series is on how to enter in and how to access your possessions. How do I do this journey to possession? And we've used the children of Israel as a kind of a storyline to show us. We could use several stories in the Bible, but the children of Israel give us a beautiful illustration of just how God moves us to possession. He doesn't just give it to us. You know, when we get saved, we think, okay, I'm saved, now God's going to bless me. No, that's not how it... Usually, when you get saved, it seems like there's more chaos at that moment, there's more trouble at that moment, more things are moving, people are quitting me, People, things that didn't go wrong seem to be going wrong. The moment I begin to move toward a possession, it seems like now a fight begins. And it is, because in this journey that God has, He's never going to give us the possessions that we have been in our heart, feel like we're supposed to have our marriage, our children, our our job, our future, until we're able to possess it. One writer says it really well. He says, you can only possess what you can hold under pressure. And God makes sure that you're strong enough to hold it before He's going to give it to you. So the children of Israel are our example, and we've studied through this a few parts. First off, we understand that God, in our minds, has to become in control of all. He has to become the one who is, it's God alone. I know that sounds crazy. If I'm dealing with someone who in these days wants to talk about God, or wants to talk about religion, or wants to talk about, then I don't, I don't get into a whole lot of arguments. That's where most people want to go. I don't. I just first ask them a question. I said, you believe God is in control of everything? And if they say, no, I don't believe, well, then we're through with our conversation. The second question I'm going to ask them is, do you actually belong to God? Are you a, a servant to God? Are you, are you his slave, his servant? Or is he your master? Whatever he says you're going to do, no matter what, are, are you, well, no. Well, then we're through with our conversation. Because we can't open a Bible and have a conversation if you don't believe it. We can't talk about God if you don't believe in him. But we want to, many times in religion, we want to get in these heated conversations of trying to convince a, a sinful person how to live right. And I'm like, that's not what God intends. There's a process. Israel gives us this process that first they had to believe in God. Sounds crazy because they already had a heritage. They had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but... Moses was told when he went back to Egypt, he said, well, what am I going to tell them when they said, who sent me? Because they really didn't know. And he said, you just tell them the I am sent you. And then what I'm going to do is by strong hand, I'm going to show them that I'm God. Up until now, you think Pharaoh's God. You think nothing can stop Pharaoh, but I've allowed Pharaoh to grow. I've allowed his army to grow. I've allowed him to be the most powerful person in the world just to show you I can use a few insects and a little bit of few things in in this world, and I can turn Pharaoh against himself. And so with a strong hand, we studied about the Passover and understanding that I am a servant unto the Lord. In fact, God told them that day, I purchased you. In fact, in the New Testament, that's what we're told, that you were bought with a price. So in this journey, I understand first that I have to realize that God is in control of all, and He's in control of me. He owns me. I'm I'm, I'm His possession. He bought me with a price. My salvation, I didn't earn it, I couldn't deserve it, but I was purchased. It's not just some free gift that I get to get it and then I go do what I want. No, I was bought, purchased. And God says, I did it because I have a destiny, a a destiny for your life. I have a purpose for your gifts and all that you have. And so we began to study this last week, what is the first step in this journey? Well, the first step is obedience. Go with me in your Bibles one more time, and we'll just kind of read the main scripture we used last time. Exodus 14, verses 1 through 4. Exodus 14, 1 through 4. And we we won't go back through all the things that we talked about, but just letting you know that This part is imperative. You can't go any further than your obedience. Everything in your journey is going to start with obedience. And so throughout this book of Exodus, there's going to be these challenges that God is just going to set up, not for them to fix something, but just for them to be obedient. 
And we talked about Exodus 14, where the Red Sea. We talked about Exodus 15, where there were songs of praise, but immediately after that, you had the bitter waters of Marah. We talked about Exodus 16, where they complained and they didn't have nothing to eat, and God sent quail. We talked about Exodus 17, where they needed water, and they, they were in Rephidim, and, and there God provided water. Moses struck a rock. And what, what's happening? Well, the problem is, is instead of being obedient, they would always turn to complaining. Instead of just trusting God and asking God, they would always turn to complaining. And God is trying to get this out of them and trying to get this attitude out of them because obedience is the key. And here's, here's just a, a snippet in Exodus 14 of what we read. Here's what it says. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn uh, the encamp before uh, Phi <laughs> Hiroth. So let me say it the best I can. Between Migdal and the sea, opposite of Baal Zephon, and shall the camp before it by the sea. And Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all his army. All the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. There's that key. And they did so. Moses is a military-minded person. Moses has been raised knowing the terrain. And when God tells him, I want you to go down this path to the Red Sea, he understands that I'm going to be stuck between two mountains, and I've got the Red Sea in front of me, and if Pharaoh comes in from behind me, I'm doomed. I've got nowhere to escape. There's nowhere to run. But Moses did it. Now, we know how the story ends, and it makes it easy then, but if you're the one walking, and you're walking along, and you're walking, you ever see those old westerns? And in the old westerns, you, you always have the pass. You know, where are we going to ambush them? We're going to ambush them at the pass, because at the pass, they're stuck in this little narrow thing, and we can get them, throw rocks from the mountains, or shoot them, pick them off. They got nowhere. Well, that's the way they're looking at it in their time. It's the pass. It's, there's between two mountains. You get to the sea. There's nowhere else to go. And Pharaoh does just that. He sees what they've done. He looks at, them, at his military people. He said, they lost their mind. They, they, must have, they must be totally bewildered to go the path that they took. That's crazy. And it emboldens Pharaoh to say, I'm fixing to go back down there and get them. They can't go anywhere, so I'm fixing to go with my army and my chariots, and I'm fixing to go get them. Well, we know how it ends. Because they're obedient, God delivers them. And all throughout Exodus, this is what God has wanted. He doesn't need you to win battles. He doesn't need you to, to, to be the one who is the smartest or, or the one who... He just needs you to be obedient. And I talked last week about how in my life, I don't claim to have all these super talents or all this, but the one thing I've brought to the table, time in and time out, is whatever God's asked me to do, I've been obedient. And that makes all the difference in your life. Now, we studied a lot of this as far as a lot of Scripture, but I want you to go with me a little further now because we talked about and got to the end last week of where we defined obedience. The definition of obedience in, in the Old Testament, New Testament, literally means to hear something, to perceive something, and then to do something. So God says, here's what I want. I want you to hear. In the New Testament, Jesus would say, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see. Well, that's the same thing. If you have this, then what I'm fixing to tell you, do it. Just do it. Don't think too hard. Don't, don't. So then, Brother Lot, what is disobedience? As we jump in today, we're going to catch up. We're disobedience, and then I'm going to get you through. Point one that we dealt with, and to start this part of obedience, simply says this. And let me go ahead and give it to you. If we fear the consequences of man and not the wrath of God, we are merely cowards walking endlessly in a desert. So if you weren't here last week, you can write that down. This is the first point. If we fear the consequences of man and what people are going to say and what people think, more than the wrath of God, we are merely cowards walking endlessly in a desert like Moses did for 40 years. They were stuck in a desert and never got to leave it because they could never truly obey what God was asking them to do. 
So now what is then, Brother Lot, obe disobedience? We studied what obedience was. You'll have to go next week. I don't have time to read those 14, 15, 16 scriptures. So what is disobedience? It's defined by Webster's Dictionary as being rebellious. So it means I've heard something, I've been told something, but I'm not wanting to do something. So one uh, objective in particular, the other ethically and, and physical. So go with me to 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. Let's jump in this because we're right in the middle of it. So let's just jump in it and let's start talking about disobedience. Here's what it says. Therefore, to you who believe, he is what? He is precious. To the, but to those who are disobedient. See, it's not a matter of whether you believe or not. When people start to say, well, pastor, I just don't believe. That's not true. You walk outside, you see the world, you see the sky, you see the clouds. Science has failed you on every side to explain everything. They finally come up with creative design, but they don't want to put that in there because that sounds too much like God. So what are we going to, we just want to talk about it. So it doesn't take very long to realize, yes, there's a God. And for those who have decided to believe, who decide to be obedient, he is precious. He's precious. He's the answer to my life. But to those who are disobedient, he is the stone which the builders rejected. And he has become the chief cornerstone. He will always be the rock that sits there and messes up your theology messes up your world, messes up your, it, it doesn't matter how far science goes, no matter how many times they want to push him out of school. It doesn't matter how many times we don't want to use him in prayer. It doesn't matter how many times you want to say we don't use Jesus' name. We don't want to, it doesn't matter. He is going to be the rock of offense to every single person. Why? Because it's going to come out. I have purchased you. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble. Why? Being disobedient to the, that's why I said, if I'm talking to someone, I can't look at them and say, okay, let's have this conversation because first I've got to ask, do you believe God rules and reigns all? If they say, I don't know if I believe, well, then we can't go any further. You've got to settle that. You've got to stop being disobedient and you've got to make a decision. If he has, then that means he has purchased you, that Jesus died on a cross, he reigns and rules, and you've got to give an account to him. Do you believe that? Well, I don't know. We've got to settle that. Why? Because the very next step is we need to open the word, and whatever the word says, we've got to do it. But if you take someone who doesn't believe and try to open the word and give them a scripture and put it on your t-shirt, it doesn't go very well, does it? There's a process. And so he says, listen, you're there. he's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. In other words, God has said that if you are this way, this is what's going to happen. It's not a if, and, or but about it. You're going to end up in a mess. So you have a choice. Go with me in your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians 2 and 2, and here's what it says. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. Well, what is the distinguishing part? The spirit who now works in the sons of. So what is the, what is the mark of someone who, who is, is bondage to Satan, bondage to sin, bondage? It's just disobedience. We try to make it like, well, they drink or they do this or they cuss or they smoke. No, it's, it all boils down to one thing. Sin is only one thing. Knowing to do right and choosing not to do it to that person, it is sin. And if you're in this room today and there's something that you have run across in your Bible and there's something you've heard in your, uh, from a preacher, and, and I know we use those phrases, boy, Pastor Law, stepping on my toes. No, I was just preaching the word. I'm just reading the scriptures. And if the scriptures got you, then you have a choice. You can look at God and say, I'm not doing it. In which you become the sons of what? 
yeah, but I, I'm, I'm assembly of God. I'm church of God. I'm Baptist. I, I don't give a hoot. God doesn't care. He doesn't have it written anywhere in heaven. He just has it, you're obedient or you are in the New Testament, this is what they preached. In the Old Testament, this is what they preached. And if I had time, we'd read 70, 80 scriptures. And this word keeps coming up to obey, being obedient. It's not trying to be ugly. It's trying to get you to a good place. It's trying to bless you. He's trying, but he's saying, I can't do it until I can trust you with obedience. If I can't trust you to get up on Sunday morning and go to church, then why would I bless you with two or three healthy children that you're not going to raise correctly? Can I trust you with what I've given you to be obedient? Let me show you another one. Go with me to Colossians. Colossians 3 and 6. Here's what it says. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of... So it's appointed to you that if you decide I'm not going to be obedient, then it's appointed to you that you're going to deal with trouble. You're going to deal with issues. Not because God doesn't like you. Not because nobody doesn't love you. But it's because inside of you, you have failed to decide, is he God? Is he my master? And if he is, then I will follow him. Even this morning, we, we know we're supposed to praise the Lord. He says, I wish men everywhere would raise holy hands and pray. I mean, we know that. But how many of you in this room stood there I don't do praise. Well, I don't really give a hoot whether you do praise or not. It ain't your question. I've had three knee surgeries, and you know what? Sometimes I'm standing over there and I'm thinking, oh, Trent's really going long today, or Jennifer's really telling you what, man, they need to wrap this thing. So what do I do? I just sit down and say, well, I'm through. No. Press in harder. Why? Because I've been called to praise. It's called obedience. Let me give you the first thing that you need to understand. Nobody cares what you think. It's not a democracy. He's the king. He owns it all. Let me give you an, some insight. You don't have the ability to go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow because you can't make yourself breathe. I don't know if that has dawned on you any time when you laid your head. You've already planning tomorrow and planning next week and planning what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and all the money you got in your back pocket. And you ain't got the sense enough to know you can't even control the fact that you're going to wake up. He's king. You're not. I know I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly, but you got to get this in your mind because, because he's going to ask you to do things that is going to be really difficult. And you're not going to like all of them, but you're going to do them anyway because you're going to realize, well, what a choice do I have? He owns it all. He's king. He's Lord. What am I going to do? <laughs> Pastor, you get there. I get there a lot. I've been there a bunch of times through the years. I'm through. I quit. Where are you going, Tim? I don't know. If you go make your bed in hell, I'll be there. If you go into the star, you want to go on a rocket ship and go into space, I'll be there. Where you going, Tim? Ask Jonah how that works. Where you going to run? Go the opposite direction. It's no good. And so in life, we, we're not trying to be ugly, but there's a mindset the world just doesn't, and especially in our culture, so this, this Western culture where we think we actually have power and we have char in charge of something. And, and when we don't, it's all make-believe, and it shocks us when we hear about somebody who died. Like, I can't believe he died. What did you think was going to happen? I go to funeral homes all the time, and it's like people just standing there like, I can't believe it. She's 93. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? I'm not trying to be, I'm just, I mean, can we just think real? I know it's going to surprise you. I'm going to die. I know it. No matter how much I pray, no matter how much olive oil I keep rubbing on myself, whatever I do, it's not going to matter. The wrinkles, whether they're there or not, I'm going to die. 
And he's saying, listen, understand, because of these things, the wrath of God keeps coming upon. The reason we have all this trouble in America is because we won't accept these things, then the wrath of God, it's not that God reaches down and just brings this massive wrath. It says you're bringing it on yourself. Your disobedience keeps bringing it on yourself. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts, Acts 25 and 19. Here's what it says. Therefore, King Agrippa, here's Paul preaching about his, 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 his salvation, how God met him on the road to Damascus. And here's what he says about his conversion. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not... What made Paul, Paul? He said, I'll tell you why. Because when God told me, here's what I want you to do. And God made it clear. I mean, it wasn't like he just, he said, Paul will suffer many things for my sake. But Paul said, let me tell you what I did. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision that God gave me. Of all the things people will ever say about you when you finally wrap it up, it'll be whether or not you walked with him, followed him, were obedient to him, that's what people will remember. Or they will try to find a preacher who will come in and say, well, pastor, I know we wasn't sure, but will you just say something? But all I have is whether or not they were obedient. Now, point two, we're wrapping up point one, so that's disobedience. We dealt with obedience. Now, point two. Your faith, then, is made evident by your obedience. That's why in, in the book of James it says faith without works is dead. You can, you can say, I got all this faith, but if you're going to live disobedient, then bad stuff's going to keep happening. It's not, it, it's, it's not, so understand it this way. Your faith is made evident by your obedience. God, like faith, obedience will give you trials. Just like if you say, Well, I've got faith. Well, obedience will give you trials, but here's the thing. How, it's how faith then continues to grow. Faith will either die or it will grow, and it only is going to grow by your acts of obedience. For a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. It's important. So, so what am I saying in my life? I don't like the trials that I have to go through. I don't like the difficult. I wish I didn't have to go through any of them. But I understand that God will put something in front of me, and he says, Tim, do you believe in me? Do you believe I am God? Do you believe you, you are my servant? Do you believe I will take care of you? Do you believe that if you seek the kingdom of God, all these things will be at? Do you believe that, Tim? Yes. Then I need you to do this. Well, no, no, I just believe it. Now, I believe, you know I believe it, God. You know, but, but, but it doesn't work that way, Tim. If you keep saying that you do, but you keep acting, your faith will die. Your faith, go with me to Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1 and 7. Here's what it says. That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What do you think tested by fire means? We always use that phrase and we always think, oh, well, it's because bad things happen to us. No, 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 it's not that. Your faith is tested by fire by whether or not you will be obedient to what he's asked. Now, don't get me wrong. The moment you are obedient to what he's asked, then your faith by the world will be challenged. And it will feel like fire. It will feel like difficulty. So that's why Paul said, listen, King Agrippa, I was obedient to all the punishment, all the problems I had. I've been obedient in jail. No, no. He said, I've been obedient to the vision. 
And because I've been obedient to the vision, now all these obstacles have come into my life and people have brought obstacles, but it's okay. It's just the fire that tests my obedience that creates a greater faith in my life. So what happens is the hotter it gets, the more I'm choosing. The more difficult it gets, the more I'm deciding. I'm deciding more every day. It's like, well, what you gonna do? I'm just gonna trust God. Hey, it's getting bad. What are you gonna do? I'm just gonna trust God. And it's burning off the impurities and burning off all the stuff. Let me show it to you this way. If, if, if somebody told you you had cancer tomorrow, the doctor tested you had a knot, you had cancer, would you probably read your Bible more next week? Would you, would you probably uh, pray more? Would you probably try to find somebody who will pray for you? So, so what are you saying? The trials of my faith, the difficulties, is because God has decided I want you to be obedient. And as you're obedient, the problem then will decide whether you are willing to burn off the impurities or whether or not your faith is a dead faith. Well, if it's a dead faith, what are you going to do? You're just going to put on Facebook, well, it looks like my time's up. And, and, and it looks, you, you've got, you're going to act in a totally different way. But your faith, the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to, there's that word again, praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of. So when Jesus finally meets you, will he meet you? And you'll say, I'm going to tell you something. I was praising you. I was lifting you up. I was believing in you through every trial, every difficulty, every circumstance, every situation. I didn't care if you answered it or didn't answer it. I'd done resolved in my mind that you were the it. You were the only one. You were the one that was going to take care of me. And if something happened, it'd have to have to be because you allowed it. So go with me in your Bibles to Job. 23 and 10. Number, number three. Let me give this to you. Number three is simply this. God then allows trials to occur to not only verify, but to purify your faith. My trials are brought about because I have a vision. And the vision then creates trials. But the trials are there to purify my faith, to make it strong. I know it sounds crazy. I'm a better pastor because of the things I've had to do. I'm a better pastor because of the deaths I've had to endure. I'm a better pastor because of why? Because he said, Tim, this is the way it works. The trials that come because of the vision that you have. So just a short time ago, my father passed away. And, and I know people want to walk up and it's like, man, we're so... There was, there was really no sorrow. And the world was like, well, you must not have cared about him. Oh, I, I care a lot about him. Cared. But it's it, because I know where he went... If somebody said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Jackson and I, I won't be back for a while, I don't cry and hug their neck and say, oh, I might never see you again. They think you lost your mind. They're like, Tim, calm down. I'll be back. I don't know. Yes, Tim, I'm just going over here. I'll be back. Well, it works the same way. My dad preached it, sung it. We believed it. We've... We, so when God said, it's time for him to go on home, then that's where he's at. And one of these days, I'm going to go home too. So what does that mean? If we're both at the same home, we're going to see each other again. And so in life, this is what has to happen. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with death, dealing with a sickness, dealing with a child, dealing with problems, dealing with just decisions. The trials that you have to go through are there to purify your faith. Go with me to Job 23 and 10. Here's what it says. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, 
I shall come forth as... Same Scripture from the New Testament. That your faith, your trials are there to test you so that your true faith, your true person will be revealed. So that people, when they see you, they'll say, you are different. Because of what I went through, because of what I've endured, I'll show it to you another place. Go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. Here's what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except as which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to... So whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm facing, God has already prepared and provided an escape. If I'm sick in body, what is my escape? Well, he said, lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Healing is my escape. Well, what if God doesn't heal? Well, because he's God, he says, then I'm going to put you through something that you are well able to handle and that I have decided that it will bring me more glory and will purify your faith better if you go through it. There are some things that God didn't just answer for me. Some things God just let me stick through it, have to deal with it, have to endure it. And, 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 it, and I look back and I'm like, thank you, Lord. Because there's things in me I didn't even see or things in me that I didn't even realize that I had to deal with. So people are like, bro, you got, I mean, you got, you got faith. Well, let me explain how some of that grew. When we built the very first building, been here five years, Went from 10 to a whopping 30. So I tell you how awesome a pastor I was. Had 30 people. I'm like, yes, we're going to build this little building. We were building it. One of my ladies, somebody broke into her house. She was my clerk. She was dearest friend. She done wrote me a letter. It was so crazy. She wrote me a letter. And, and in the letter, she had d- detailed. She said, Pastor, I see that church, but I see all different color lights. I see people from just, and I know it represents different people, different cultures, different, and I see all these lights. She said, you know, the crazy thing is, Pastor, I don't see me there because she was my piano player. She said, I don't see me there. She said, I know I'm there. I'm, I know I'm there somewhere. I just didn't see it in my dream. Well, a few weeks later, after I got this letter, somebody broke into her house and with the back end of a shotgun beat her to death. All she ever wanted to see was a steeple go on that first little building Never got to see it. And I'm like, God, this is not what I signed up for. And I'm thinking, okay, I can handle this. It's just one of those blips in the screen. It's just a, just a, I can handle this, God. I can, and here I am encouraging her husband, encouraging, and I'm trying to build a building, and, and, and that don't even seem like it's important no matter what. All the chaos in this. At the same time, I've got another lady, precious lady from Sebastopol. She starts coming down with a sickness. We pray. God doesn't move. Not the way I want. Turns out she's got some rare stomach cancer. and No cure. No. For months, for weeks, I sit outside her, her hospital room at times when she's having to have a needle stuck in her back and they draw the fluid off so she can breathe another day or two. Here I am. I'm Pastor Lot. I'm building a building. I'm... And my faith is being just torn to shreds. The first service we ever had in that building was a funeral. It was a funeral. See, people don't remember all that. But I do. And I remember six months after that, it took six months for me to get to where I would want to pray with someone. We're, we're moving into a new building, and I'm preaching every Sunday, and I'm thinking, I don't even believe God heals anymore. I don't believe God does anything. I, I think God just doesn't even listen to nobody. I think He just happens, whatever happens, happens. Anybody ever been to there in your faith? Yeah. I don't, man. I'm telling you, I've seen so much junk. I don't think God, that's okay. It, it's not bad. You ain't a bad person. You're just, your faith is just being tested. So about, that six months in, God finally caught me in my office one day and He said, I need you to praise me. And I remember just as vividly, I looked at it and I said, God, I love you. 
and I'm going to serve you, and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be faithful, but I will not praise you. I got nothing to praise you about. We're having this long conversation, and I'm walking around the sanctuary in there. And God's like, Tim, we can't go no further until you can praise me. Slowly but surely, I put on some music. I just start walking around, and tears started. And all the brokenness, God said, just pour it out. I understand. I understand, Tim. Probably an hour or two, just walking around. Finally, my hands would go up. and Finally, tears began to fall. And, and I could see what I couldn't see before. And I was... See, what people don't realize is that from those two deaths, I probably picked up 20 to 30 more people of their families, their cousins. Their, I met so many relatives that that was the start of where God was bursting all seasons. Yeah, it wasn't my plan. It wasn't. And God said, Tim, I hear you every time you pray. And believe me, every person you lay your hand on, if it aligns with my will, it will be a healing. It will be. Don't you worry about that. But there are times, Tim, I need you to realize I can't show you everything I'm doing. And in those moments, I need you to have faith, to realize there's no temptation, no trial I'll ever put you in. There's a lot of times through the years I've been they're building something. Thank God, I, I can't. We gotta. We can't go no further. Or, 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 or dealing with a situation. And God, I can't. I remember Linda's mom when she was sick. My little Beamer, three hundred something thousand miles. I'm thinking, okay, God, the last trip that little Beamer ever made was over to her house. That's where it died. And I thought, well, God, where do I go from here? Well, I had no idea that two months later, it was my 25th year. And on the stage, they drove in a little bitty pickup and said, God's like, Tim, you're not going to see everything I'm doing. But just know I'm doing it. Just know I'm right in the middle of it every single time. So your faith then becomes more. So by now when you see Pastor Lot, you got to understand I could tell you a hundred of these stories that God had to put me in something where he boiled off some impurities and he boiled off some doubt and he boiled off anybody ever been through that? You didn't want to go through it, but you're better now because of it. Well, that's reality in God's kingdom. He is trying to in the Old Testament, New Testament, wash away those impurities. The problem is, is that if he can't, it can become detrimental. I've told you all this, and, and God wants them to inherit, to reach their promised land. But I'm going to tell you the saddest story there is in the Bible. The saddest story to me, because I'm a pastor. And dealing with people is, is, is frustrating. And dealing with personalities is frustrating. And you've, you've always got to be on your A game. And you've always... Because you're the guy that, that sets the pay. You're the guy that everybody, you know, if, if I was up here preaching and, and, and one cuss word slipped out of my mouth, it would change the whole atmosphere of this place. It's just like, it's like, oh, I can't believe it. It'd be on Facebook if somebody was Facebook. Look at this, pastor made a mistake. I get in enough trouble from my wife and others for what I already say, and I don't even use bad words. But Moses... Moses is an incredible story. Moses is listed in Hebrews as this great pastor. He is this incredible man. He, at 40, tries to deliver Israel, doesn't have the ability. But at 80, God says, now you're going to let me be king and ruler, and I'm going to just do what I ask you to do. Yes, I got it. He, he, he stands up to Pharaoh. He parts the Red Sea. All these miracles I've talked about, turning water, doing all this stuff, but... Go with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32, 51 and 52. God tells Moses to do a specific thing one time. The first time that God ever told him to bring water from a rock, he said, I want you to strike it. 
The second time that he told him to bring water from the rock, he said, I want you to speak to it. But Moses was having a bad day. And those people were really, really getting under his skin. Why was God doing that? Because now that we see the New Testament, we realize that the first time water comes from a rock, it's because it's Jesus was what? Struck. But from then on, if we need water from the rock, all we have to do is what? We don't have to crucify him again. He's already been crucified once and forever. See, God was trying to, it would have been a beautiful illustration later. We could have used it in Bible studies. We could have used it and said, you know how the the rock represents Jesus and this. And we could have used all these stories. But in the middle of this story, Moses gets angry. Him and Aaron talk to each other. And I can see them walking along like, these people are about to drive me crazy, Aaron. Aaron's like, I've had all I can take of them. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. God just wipe them all out. I'm through with it now. And God says, I want you two to go talk to this rock. Just talk to it and tell it to please let water come out. Instead, Moses walked up to it and he said, you stiff neck, you won't listen to nothing I say. You want water? Dead gum it. I give you water. What? And he whacked the rock again. And water came out. God's faithful. But listen to what it says. The greatest pastor there ever was, the greatest leader of people, Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Merah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hollow me in the midst of the children of Israel, yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I give to the children of Israel. The English Standard Version says, Because you were disobedient to what I asked you to do. Because you were disobedient to what I asked. In fact, he he lists this twice. Go with me to Numbers 20. I'll show you the story. Numbers 20, verses 10 through 13. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Moses done had all he could take. Moses was not in the right frame of mind. He had not spent enough time in praise. He had not spent enough time with God to get his spirit right. Instead, the trial was testing his faith. It was testing his obedience. Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Notice how it's done change now. Now it's not God doing it. Do we have to bring water for you one more time? Do you know what I've done for you? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Merabah. Because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed, or his name was made holy. He wasn't meant at this moment for him to be made holy. But here's what happens. And I wish this was in the, we'll have to get this in the English Standard next service because it does a beautiful job of explaining this. It says, because you would not make my name what it meant to be and obey me, I had to now make my name holy. Remember what we said that when you go against God, troubles and calamities, What that does is is it shows you you can't fight with God. So because Moses said, we're not going to do it the way you said, and we're not going to be obedient, then he says, then I'll have to make my name holy. How am I going to do that? Moses, you and Aaron won't ever walk in. You'll never see 
Your feet will never land on the promised land. Even though I'm preaching about the children of Israel, it's amazing how the man who's leading them all the way will be one of the people who will never get to walk in it all because he could not be obedient. Look at the person beside you and tell them, do you realize how obedience matters in your life? Do you realize how obedience matters in your life? I know the world talks about grace and talks about are you a member of a church. I'm going to tell you something. None of that will help you. If you don't possess obedience to God, you'll never see the good of the land that you want to see. But if you choose to be obedient, then Isaiah, like we studied last week, he said, listen, if you will be obedient to me, you will eat the good of the land. Let me end it by saying this. Don't ever walk away and say, well, Pastor Lot was this or Pastor Lot was that or that boy, God really blessed. I said this last week and I'll repeat it. When I was on Bank Street 28 years ago, God already saw all this. 28 years ago when I was in an office that when it rained was underwater and you hoped the lamp didn't fall off because you were going to die. God already saw 28 years ago where I'm standing right now. Then you say, well, well God, God was going to get you there. No, no, no. Even though God saw it and God had prepared it, there was only one person who could get there. That was me. When God called Israel out of, out of Egypt, Canaan was already there. The grapes were already growing. The houses were already built. God said, I've got what I promised you. Well, then they got it then. No, they didn't. Because without obedience, you cannot walk and work in the kingdom. You can't represent the king unless you can be obedient. It is the first step. It is the first step toward possessing. So why does God bless me or God give me because he knows Tim is at a point in his life he can possess this. I can give him stuff and you know what? He don't see it as his. It doesn't make him who he is. He doesn't swell up and say, I'm Pastor Lot. No. I'm still Tim Lot, but I've just been obedient for a long, long time. Will you stand? In Psalms 119, 1 through 8, it says this. Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful, joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in His paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when, I'm, when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, your righteous ways, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please, please don't give up on me. See, I don't want to let the enemy have a doorway and make it, oh, well, you can't be perfect. That's not what I'm telling you today. I still bumble and fumble all through this old life. But I, there's not a day in my life that I don't wake up and my whole goal my whole goal is to be obedient to the things that I know to do. To be obedient to the things that God has already revealed. 
An old preacher said it to me years ago. He said, Tim, if people just do what they already know to do, they'd have enough to take care of today. If we just left here today and we just do what we know to do, treat people the way we've been told to treat them, to love the way we've been told to love, we don't need 20 more scriptures. We just need to accept that He's God. I am His loyal and faithful servant in the kingdom of God. And that whatever He's spoken, I will do. God says, if I can trust you there, then I will open doors that no one can open. And I will close doors nobody can close. If you're in this place today with every eye closed, every head bowed, if there's any area of your life that you just decided that I'm just, I just can't be obedient there. That I'm struggling, Brother Lot, to just, I know what the Bible says, but that, that's just hard. And I hope that today you will make a decision that yes, it is hard. Yes, it will be like fire. Yes, it will be difficult. But it will bring forth what it is that's in your heart. That dream life, that, that possession that you always want, that's What's at stake? God says, if I can trust you, if I can trust you, then I'll also bless you. Father, this morning, whatever it is, whatever area there is that, that we know is just, as Paul said, the sin that so easily besets us, the thing that keeps tripping us up, if we will just wholeheartedly give it, wholeheartedly, this morning, let you be God. Make a decision that we will serve you faithfully. Then we will be amazed at the doors, the miracles, the blessings that will overshadow our life. God, I believe that with all my heart. I'm living it every day. For that person right now, God, that needs to walk away, that needs to crucify something, that needs to change something, let them do it. Not because you're wanting to take something away, but because your ultimate goal is to give them that thing they most desire. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen and amen. God bless you. Hey, if you get a chance this week, let's go give that old devil fits.